we were walking, I slipped in the mud on the way into Kimmel, and some guy behind me was like, hey man, I saw you fall. That was funny. And it was Chris Joseph. So he turned around and I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, you want to yeah, see me do it again, yeah, sir? Right. Let, me, let me buy your Crunchwrap Supreme, sir. No, you can't buy him a Crunchwrap Supreme. That would have been an illegal NCAA benefit. Welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer. I'm Matt Pfeiffer, along with Kevin O'Keefe, Brett Fortnum, Joe Shell, and Colin Lerner. We hope you're having a great December. I uh, hope you had a good uh, weekend and that you caught up on your sleep after a late night of college basketball and Syracuse basketball on Tuesday. That is, if you could get the sleep after the sloppy, horrible performance that we watched on Tuesday night. Syracuse drops its first game of the year to Rutgers 79-69 following back-to-back wins against Niagara and Ryder since we last talked. Orange are now 3-1. and one. And guys, this one was, the thing that just struck me was sloppy. Uh, poor shot selection, not good getting back on defense. Uh, a lot of people talk about Joe Girard's poor performance. That's been something that's come up a lot. It just, it just, they were out of sync almost all night. They only had two leads the whole game. And that second lead, it just all fell apart in the last five minutes. Uh, definitely not what you wanted to see uh, going into ACC play. The one hope is that getting Buddy back on Thursday, maybe that, helps get things back on track before their first ACC game on Saturday. I mean, they look, they look like a team that has only had five practices this year. So, and I think that's how many they've had since the pause. It was sloppy. I expect it to be sloppy. It'll probably continue to be sloppy for a little while. I don't know that Buddy is going to be able to magically fix that. I did see reasons for hope on Tuesday, despite the awful play and all the terrible things that – Matt, you mentioned, but I think there's a lot of talent on this team, probably more so than we've seen in quite a while. Woody Newton has looked able to contribute, which is not something I necessarily um, expected. And even in the other games, Bayheim is playing more guys, and that interests me. So I think this is going to be a, a very interesting team going forward, despite the dumpster fire of the game Tuesday. See, I actually don't think that it was that negative. I mean, yeah, it was sloppy, and I mean, sure, it was hard to watch, but it's not the Rutgers of old. They're the number 21 team in the country, and we're an unranked team, and we stuck with them, and I would love to see a stat, I don't have it in front of me, of Jim Beheim coached teams that are down by 10 and then close the gap of how many of those games I actually go on to win, because I feel like that would be a pretty high percentage. Um, so I feel like us coming back, catching them, when we're down two starters was really, really positive. I think the team flowed well, having Richmond as your point guard and having uh, Gerard on the bench. Um, I think if you have one of Beheim or uh, uh, Sidibe back there, you win that game. I think if you have both of them, you win that game comfortably. Um, and it's very, very strange for me to not see Syracuse with a number next to their name. Um and I think that this showed that, if anything, that we do belong right around that range, probably like maybe like a lower top 25 team. But I saw really only positives out of this game. I, I think we'll get there. If you look at the last two games, so the Ryder game, we drained eight threes in the first 10 minutes in that game. Four of them were from the new guy, uh, Griffin. And I think three were from Joe Girard. Then we played Rutgers, and, and, and a, a lot of 
what I saw in the Ryder game was us just taking a ton of uncontested threes and draining them. And then obviously we came back to to earth um, in the second half of the Ryder game. But against against uh, Rutgers, we were like Ryder where we were just giving Ron Harper Jr. uncontested threes over and over and over again. And I mean, we've all seen it for years and years where we just somehow Syracuse seems to be that team that teams can hit deep contested threes against us all the time. Um, but it just it just seemed like we were not in sync on defense and we were not contesting those shots the way we should be. Yeah, that's kind of what stood out to me the most was that Harper, when he was hitting those shots, you know, he had time to set his feet and take a nice smooth jumper and he was knocking them down, but he was wide open. Um, and most of the time it was Gerard's fault. It was his assignment that he missed. He tends to lose track of his guy. He... You know, there's penetration into the zone or a pass into the high post. And I know the guards are supposed to sag a little bit to help, but Gerard commits 100% to helping and ditches his guy on the perimeter, and that's where all these shots are coming from. It's easy to forget that Gerard had a good shooting performance one game prior with how bad he was in the game before and in the Rutgers game. His shooting stroke's going to come. We we know that. It's going to come along. He's, he's, a, he's a good offensive player. He needs to... Continue to get better at playing the zone. And I think surrounding him with a more athletic backcourt, like playing alongside Kadari, is very beneficial for him. I don't know what's going to happen with the lineup when Buddy comes back. Knowing Bayheim, it will probably go back to the way it was. But Gerard will probably also have a pretty short leash to get pulled in favor of Richmond. But um, I think when Gerard does play, obviously if he keeps playing like this, his minutes need to go down. If he isn't hitting his shots and not playing good defense, he needs to play fewer minutes. But when he's on the court, he will benefit from playing exclusively off the ball. He knows what to do playing the two guard off the ball. His off ball movement is better than what we're used to. He's he's good at finding his spots and getting open and playing. He gets in a better flow. When he brings the ball up court and the attention is on him immediately, he's not athletic enough to really handle that pressure right off the bat. So if you have a big athletic guard like Richmond and Gerard can play off the ball, I think he's going to find more open shots for himself. And that will kind of help alleviate his shot selection issue right off the bat. Um, as far as Alan Griffin's shot selection, he just needs to stop doing that. Um, there's really, he's, a, he's a good player. He's a good shooter. Um, and I'm okay with him taking contested threes. I'm okay with him taking deep threes. Some of the shots he made were inexcusable. Um, there was one shot he took off an offensive rebound, and he just like backpedaled right. yeah. to the yeah. three-point line, twirled and chucked it. And there was, we had a fresh shot clock. Um, so that needs to stop. My last point is uh, what has been the most positive for me has been the player that Quincy Garrier is becoming. The fact that he is proving to be a – real threat to knock down an open three-pointer is very, very good for his game. It turns him from an athletic guy with a high motor to a dynamic player. Because when they have to respect your three and you're a guy who can get to the basket and finish with authority and strength, it's going to do very good things. And he's able to score in a couple of different ways. And his rebounding is very valuable. And I think by the end of the year, we might see him be the best player on the team if this keeps up. You realize he's almost averaging a double double. He's, yeah. he's yeah. in 16. He's, I think he's 50% from three on the year. 
He's nine and a half rebounds a game. He's that close to averaging a double-double so far. But he only took one shot, I think, in the last 10 minutes of the game. And I think that is part of a broader problem that we really saw on Tuesday. Those guys were gassed, completely exhausted. When they took that lead, it took them so much effort and energy to actually get the lead finally because the whole game they they would creep up creep up a couple bad shots and then Rutgers would run out and the lead would balloon back to six or eight or something and when they finally got that lead it was just like oh wow exhale and you looked at with two minutes left there wasn't a guy on on the court who didn't have his hands on his knees just gasping for air I think they win that game if they were in basketball shape and I want to be very clear that when I say that not in basketball shape, that's only a lack of practice. It's not about work ethic or anything because you just need to be on a basketball court practice after practice to practice to get there. There's It, it, it is strictly a, um, a, a situational issue. I don't think it's a matter of those guys trying or anything like that. Um, it's just a matter of conditioning that you only get with basketball practice and running the sprints and things so like the that. benefit of playing in the state of New York is that like obviously you keep players safer because you have more stringent rules on COVID. The downside is that, you know, in, in a different state, you're gonna have players that are gonna miss less games because of COVID because the, the the rules are different. So I think we may get into some situations where we're not really ready to play, uh, not because we're not, you know, sinking well as a team, but because we have games canceled because of COVID. I cannot recall the last time that I saw a Jim Beheim coach team take a timeout because the guys were gassed. And that's what I saw last night was Beheim actually called a timeout because the guys just, they couldn't just run up the court. And I think that that does go to the whole COVID, the lack of practices and all this kind of stuff. Um, And just physically, they just don't seem ready for the season, but also mentally as well. I mean, just watching Joe Girard, he just seems out of it. He seems mentally out of it. And I don't know if it's, COVID thing. I don't know if it's he's still struggling with the transition from being a 50 point scorer in high school to being kind of a smaller fish in a Syracuse program. I'm not sure what it is, but he just seems just lost. He seems like he has no confidence. He seems like he doesn't know what he's doing. And I mean, we saw the talent. We saw at the um, uh, end of the first half, he juked that guy out of his ankles and drained the three. It's there. He just seems to just be mentally just not, just not in the arena and I don't know where he is. And I, I said this during the preview episode where I thought that Richmond was going to help Gerard a lot because it was going to be able to give Gerard that time, that breather. So when he gets lost behind, we'll be able to pull him and say, Hey, here's what's going on. And unfortunately what, what we've seen is instead of that buddy has had to miss a few games and Gerard is getting put right in the same spot as he was last year. And the talent is there. Joe, you're absolutely right. He will find his shot. I think we're going to see more and more of Richmond as Richmond gets into college shape. And I think it will benefit Gerard to to get less minutes because he really just the, – the game is going a little too fast for him right Kadari's now. Kadari is the only guard on the roster who is in the mold of what we have come to expect from Syracuse guards. He has that Frank Howard build. He has the long arms. He yeah. – he fits the mold of what we need defensively, but the, on the flip side, if we we all know those crazy athletic, very good zone defenses, 
over the last seven, eight years. A lot of them weren't very good offensive teams. So hopefully we can kind of strike a balance with that. He's got nice moves. He can drive to the basket. He's got good length, disruptive on defense. I am just, I'm all about Kadari Richmond. I don't know if you guys saw, like expected me to say that. Man, I I think that he, the more minutes we can get that kid, the the better. And I was just going to float this one idea before we move on. What did you think about the rotation of having Richmond and Alan Griffin in the backcourt? Like, and then you slide like a Woody Newton in into a forward position. That way you got more uh, size to rebound, help Dolezal out, and you can give Joe Girard a breather. It uh, reminds me a lot of the uh, Michael Benizet teams where they would slide him up and he would play up front. Um, and I, I, I do think that that is where we at least seem to have just the most basketball knowledge, the most basketball presence just seems to be up there where we have those two guys kind of running the, the show. I think we need to see what we're going to get from Buddy this year too. We really don't know yet. Yeah. He hasn't really played enough to so to give us a chance to see if you know his defense is better, if he can play the zone a little better. Because I know we kind of throw him and Gerard in the same boat, but Buddy is longer, he's taller. He hopefully can at least show some improvement and see what we get out of him before we start, you know, sliding our forwards to play in the backcourt. And well, yeah, we're gonna play small ball at some point. I, I don't think Griffin moving to the two is is so dramatic of a change. That... No, and it, it, it'll be a good lineup. It'll be a good thing to do at some point. I don't know that I would want to see it a lot. Um, and, and one thing and I alluded to this earlier is that Beheim seems to be using more guys than we're used to. I know that Niagara and Ryder were not close games, but he was emptying the bench there. I wonder if Buddy testing positive and the New York State COVID protocols are making Beheim realize that he might actually need his full bench this year as opposed to other years where injuries happen, but you can always kind of get through it. I would certainly hope that he's realized yeah. that. Because yeah, it's, it's probably a blessing because – Beheim was on the record as saying that Woody Newton is playing better than he practiced, and we might never learn that if we're not in this situation. Amazing! What you learn when you actually play people off the bench. Look at the last the last few games. His minutes are going up. I mean, obviously that he wasn't going to play as much against Rutgers, but he played I think fourteen minutes against Ryder and maybe like nine minutes apiece against Rutgers and Niagara. Like. I'm impressed by him. He can knock down a three. He rebounds well. He can take up space down low. Like, I think he, he definitely has a role. And the shooting was not in the scouting report on him coming in either. He was not supposed to be a jump shooter. Right. We would not, he's not a guy I would have expected to want to see take threes, but he's it was his game together. He's smooth, confident too. He, he, he looks like a game. He's kind of he shouldn't be a key cog this year. Like Brett said, he's probably capable of being a contributor. I think that would be beneficial for. You know, He's kind of what what you would describe Braswell as. Like that's what I was expecting out of. Braswell. It's what I wanted Braswell to be. I think he has a better opportunity to become. Braswell well, has not looked good so far. No, this year. very very Before bad. Him. Very he, bad. He got a long season. Yeah, but he 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 might have had his four he games. Special kind of bad so far. <laughs> Speaking of people that we weren't expecting to see, John Bull Ajak got into the game for about four minutes or so. And uh, we were all texting each other. And Joe texted that when it came to the backup center 
that is not the person he expected to see in that role. I thought we'd see Anselm. I thought apparently he's not ready, but Frank Anselm is who I would have expected to see get these minutes. And, and it is noticeable, and it, this quote has to be no surprise considering how Ajax looked last night. Uh, I think he lost the ball multiple times on his own. The young centers are nowhere ready to play. We see that every day in practice. That's Jim Beheim. So. He did There's, have that nice assist to that Woody Newton dunk. It was a absolutely. nice pass in the low yeah. post. So the most shocking thing of that game was right after he came in, uh, he lost the ball like it, almost at half court and ended up having to call timeout. And I was so shocked. He got to the bench. Beheim was looking at him, was explaining the game to him, and then he went back out there. That was more patience than I think I've ever seen that, Jim Beheim have. is significant. Life. The fact yeah. that he made that mistake that bad of an error and had a conversation with Jim Beheim and Jim Beheim didn't scream at him tells you how bad he is. Jim Beheim can't and, and, and be mad at him. Out on the floor. He can't even be mad at him. If if he were, were if he were a if good player, I'd be in the sixth grade CYO game. I'd be out of the game. You know, if Alan Griffin does that and just like fumbles a ball and loses that at bat and looks lost, so he gets screamed at when you're bad. Jim Beheim doesn't get mad at you because he just knows, like, listen, <laughs> yeah. you're not good. I know, but I got to play you a little bit. So here's what you can do better next time. All right, I'll buy you an ice cream after the game. <laughs> well, from the. <laughs> From the Jim Beheim Honest Takes book, uh, also last night on Joe Girard, since we did talk about him, his defense was really bad tonight. They drove him constantly all night. Yeah. He goes on to say he can't get uh, lost up in the fact that he's having a bad offensive game. Uh, he has to be better on defense. Right? He's having a bad offensive game. He's having a bad game in general. He's not even playing the game. He's not even in the arena. Like I said before, dude, he's just he is just basketball in another world. I think One the point is that when night. he goes when he goes cold on offense, he isn't in the game on defense and kind of is so focused on how bad he's shooting that he gets lost in the other aspects of the game, which you know are an uphill battle for him as it is. He currently has the worst offensive rating of anybody in the SU rotation. I'm not worried about his offense. Maybe no, I'm, I'm, not worried about offense I'm not. I'm, I'm worried about everything else. That's according to Matthew Gutierrez at The Athletic. If you have a problem with it, go I'm, I'm wondering it if Brassel's in that discussion because I know his offensive oh, yes. rating. I'm wondering if John Bull Ajax has an offensive rating. <laughs> I mean, if you play four minutes, is it really? I, I'm sure it's related to volume. If your volume is as high as his, but just as bad as all the other bad people, then it's probably worse because he's bad at a high volume. Right. Uh, but look, I mean, I think we do have, definitely do have to focus on these positives. Gary A lo- looks really good. And that really looks like a guy who, as, as you guys said, you know, might be one of the, the top you know, it's going to just produce a lot of points and, and be a top contributor through the season. You've got to like that. There's reason to be excited about when Buddy gets back. There's reasons to be excited about some of the young talent coming in. I think it's kind of like we said, there's just going to be an element of watching development. And um, I think this team could be really fun to watch when you hit mid-late January and February. Because once it all comes together and they have more practice, the raw talent is there. 
the pieces are there. I'm telling you, man, we we almost beat a top 25 team without two of without our their best players. Yeah. But they didn't have their one best players. Time, That's the one time that sure. I thought we were going to win, I even thought the, the even, even inkling of that we might have a chance of winning that game was when Richmond had that pickpocket and went and got that, that quick dunk. And we yeah. went up by three with like you know two and a half three minutes left. But like right, right, that's that when we ran again. We just pulled it up to yeah. ten, and they went on like a ten zero run Kevin, or something. Kevin, every time you have one of those thoughts, bad things happen. Stop having those thoughts. Having thoughts about being able to win a game, like I, I hope, Stop. I hope to have more Stop. of those thoughts. Well, you know, no, because every time you think that. Bad stuff happens. Right, you live your life What's... in a very sad way. If that's if that's the oh strategy at all times, like you have to have what? some optimism. What is happening? No, 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 no. Because then when good things no, no. happen, it's such a surprise and it's wonderful. <laughs> Brett does not have to have optimism, and I, I, I will tell you this because I, look, I was always on the boat. Brett needs to be more optimistic, okay? Uh, because he was, well, I, you know, it was like, oh, you're always negative. When Brett was optimistic. We had our worst football season <laughs> since we've been there. That's All true. right. Brett would said, Oh, you guys said they're gonna be five and six, six and five, one and ten. I blame Brett. And uh, I accept it. And and it's Brett being positive. So next year we can tell you now, Brett is going to say that the football team's gonna go one and eleven. All right. So then I mean, the opposite. I want to be right though. The, the, so the opposite hopefully happens. Well, we're going to try because they they at least win more than one game when you're negative about them. Yeah, but how many moral so, victories did we have? Oh, well, we had a few. three. But, uh, you can talk depends on how bad your morals are. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I actually do have one more thing that I do want to say about this game is I think one of the unseen negatives about this game is it puts a lot of pressure on our next game. I mean, obviously, I mean, we would love to win, still be undefeated. But I think that with this kind of a young team, I think if we start losing multiple games in a row, that I think that that can be a cause for concern. And I think yeah. that it's a lot of pressure on us winning our next game and kind of showing that this was more of an a aberration than the normal. Luckily, we play Boston College, who thus far has been poor. Yeah. Um, the last point I was trying to make when Brett was hooting and hollering at Kevin. And actually, Brett, I've been agreeing with you for the most part today, so you should just take that as a, a positive and we'll stop finding a way to yell at someone else instead of me for a change. But in regards to the team kind of running out of gas at the end, after we went ahead with the Kadari richmond steal and finish at the other end, um, once the game started to slip away, you saw Beheim throw the press out there, and the press was very bad because of how tired they were. If the, if the conditioning is where we would like it to be, there's a better chance, especially with the depth we've been using this year, I have a feeling that that press has a chance to actually turn the tide of that game around. But they were so tired at that point. It just it, it was over at that point. But if, if that press can be more effective and he's going to go eight deep regularly, I, I and you know, you put out your long lineup of uh, Kadari out there and you put – Woody Newton out there, and you have Griffin and Garrier, and I mean, at that point, maybe even Sidibe later in the year, and you press, you have a bunch of dudes with long wingspans who are athletic and can finish on the other end. Hopefully that's a, a weapon we'll actually be able to have. A lot of times we don't have the depth to use the press at the end of games like we would like to. So Beheim after the game, said that we couldn't press a pair of pants. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Which it was it just a, what a, a beautiful behind quote. 
But the one thing we haven't talked about that I do want to highlight is how wonderful it is to see Marek Dolajai get the ball and look to score and be good at it. I've enjoyed watching his season so far. And he only had 13 points after having like the first seven uh, points of the game, which as soon as he got into foul trouble, things... So is he benefiting from the mismatch of playing the five? That's my question. I don't think so. I just think that he is very, very talented. And If he's being defended by a four instead of a five, who's as athletic as him, maybe more so, or is he not going to have these easy mid-range looks that he's been getting? Are they going to be more contested? Because right now, he's quicker and more athletic than a lot of the fives he's going up against. But he's also getting bullied by these fives. So the way he's playing it right now is actually really smart, where he's playing away from the basket in the mid-range, and he's scoring very effectively. I think playing the five is actually helpful for him on the offensive end right now. Um, so when Sidibe comes back and Dolajai is playing the bulk of his minutes at the forward spot again, I just wonder what that's going to do. Obviously, we know Dolajai is a good player, and it's it's not going to like render him obsolete. But what's that going to do with Garrier, with the way Garrier is playing? Now you're, you're talking about putting Sidibe at the five, which is the only spot he can play, and you're trying to put... Garrier and Dolajai both get the majority of their minutes out of the four. I don't really like Garrier out of the three. I don't think his his ball handling or his, you know, overall speed is quite enough to play the three more. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Would you be comfortable playing Quincy at the three for more than a minute or two? I think that with the way our offense is supposed to work, that it's more of a positionless offense. So that the difference between a three and a four isn't that great. Um, you'll you kind of have the one the one big guy. I mean, Syracuse fours have always been, you know, get out, you know, hang out around the elbow and, and such. But I think that Garrier is athletic enough where he'll be fine at the three for short spells and, and such. It'll be able to give Sidibe and Dolajai time to sit down when they have to sit down. You know, and, and Dolajai will slide into a five for a few minutes, and, and they'll just you'll have fresher legs, more rotations. I think it's only a good thing. I think it's a great problem to have when you're worried about how to get yeah, all the talent. Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, I, I it's think crazy it's to think how much the game has changed once upon a time our, you know, five was Arinze and the four was Rick Jackson who yeah. couldn't take a jump shot to save his life. The, the, the fact some... that we can, we can be a functional team without Sidibe is really encouraging to me. I I thought that we were going to play a lot worse against Rutgers um, because uh, Sidibe to man. me, and when I said this a couple weeks ago, Sidibe to me is really the focal point of of our particularly our defense, and Dolajai has seemingly slid into that spot effectively. So it, it allows us to to it opens up the playbook a little bit more for us on both sides, um, so that we we can have uh, sets where. Where Sadiba is not in the game, we got Dolajai at the five. We can slide him in at the four. We can do things like bring in Newton at the three and slide up Griffin. Like, like we can do a lot of different things, which is what I like. And it, it like we were saying before, it's exciting that that we're probably going to play a few more guys than we normally do off the bench. With the injury history that we've had at our five position the past four years, I question anybody to tell me of a player who has played at a position more than Marek Dolezal has over the, his four-year career. And he has thrived. I actually heard during the game, um, uh, one of the awful color commentators actually said something that was not completely stupid. He said that if Dolezal averages 11 points a game for the season, that he'll be a 1,000-point scorer at Syracuse. And I oh, wow. 
I I find that incredible because I mean, like I was just saying, he's played the majority of his career out of position. And for a kid who, for all the talent in the world, doesn't seem to have had a ton of basketball training as a young kid. Really, I think that that's fantastic for him to be a thousand point scorer accused. And like I said, he's a he, he's a gamer. He will never complain. He always shows up, and I think it's just fantastic. And I've loved watching him over these four years. He was making smart plays that you wouldn't see him make in previous years. Like like he was leaning forward to catch to to get the foul at the elbow. Like like things that that Merrick Dolzhai in previous years would be kind of a foreign concept to him. So the guy's definitely matured as a scorer uh, from 2019 to, to to this season. Like it's it's really impressive. I think we we could see some pretty great things out of him this year. Yeah, he's been the smartest player on the floor for Syracuse by far and I, I think he's going to be a very good professional player not necessarily NBA level but professional somewhere and I think he's just his his passing and what other country his, could he possibly go to <laughs> I mean he only speaks American <laughs> okay you know, well, he's definitely not going to be a full NBA player, but he's definitely going to carve out a nice career for himself in Turkey or somewhere. And I, again, I, I think he's going to be a great European pro player because he has all the brains and he is just such, such, such a, a good, good, good basketball player. He's just a gamer, man. Absolutely. So the good thing is when we talked about practice earlier and Brett talked about the fact that this team doesn't have practice. a lot of practice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they got a couple days till their next game. As Joe it's mentioned, it's at Boston College. Boston College is one and four after they lost last night uh, to Minnesota in overtime. Uh, so that it's on ESPNU one o'clock on Saturday. Then they get a whole week until their next game, which is a home matchup with Buffalo. So they're going to get a lot, you know, they're going to have a, a game where they're going to have a great chance to rebound to get their fourth win here, uh, potentially on Saturday. And then they get a lot of days where they're just going to be able to work on those fundamentals and, and work on the practice stuff, get themselves into a, a better position before they hit uh, a stretch with a few more games. They've still got Buffalo and Notre Dame then before Christmas on the 19th and the 22nd, and then they go to Wake on the 30th uh, before they got to play North Carolina. So they've got some time to try to work out some of these kinks, and, and hopefully we'll see some major improvement on Saturday. Yeah, I think we will hopefully get another tune-up game on Saturday, and that will be nice to roll into the Buffalo game with. For sure. And it would get you a winning record in the ACC to start. We'll move on from uh, basketball, just quickly mention, and we'll get more in the football next week because it is National Letter of Intent Day next week. So we'll talk a little bit about what our uh, prospects look like and look at the commits um, and see what that means for potentially the 2021 season. Uh, obviously, football lost 45-21 at Notre Dame and Honestly, a decent showing considering the opponent. Sean, they had we their best. The winning man, we were close. A lot of <laughs> a lot of tough calls that didn't go our way at the end of the first half really just wiped away any chance we had. But it was close, and then a couple of things rolled the wrong way, and then it was over. We had our best rushing day of the season against the second ranked team in the country. I just want to put that. We rushed for over two hundred yards. As a team, Tucker and Lutz both went over the century mark. Yeah, I think they both did, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it it was it was 
better than I thought it was going to be. Honestly, it, it turned out better than I thought. Because last be. week I made I made the statement that I was going to rush the field if uh, if we beat uh, Notre Dame, and I had to turn to Kyra at some point during the day. And I was just like, hey, if if this keeps going the way it's going, then we have to reroute to South Bend. <laughs> by <laughs> by the way, by the way, can I just say at that the only call that really had me peeved was the offensive the offensive pass interference yeah, that wasn't called yeah. on the Mel Fonu got shoved to the ground with yeah. two arms in his back. That was there was like seven seconds to go in the first half. That was I mean, if they called offensive pass interference on Syracuse for a shove to a player that wasn't even targeted, that was obviously offensive pass interference on Notre Dame with at the end of the first half. The the best part of that game was I, I've been doing a lot of complaining about announcers this season. Mm-hmm. Man, Mike Tariqa was good. He is he just is. so good. And I just haven't, I mean, I know that. I know that. And it's just been so long since I guess I've heard him announce a game. And he's just, he's so good. It makes Newhouse. me so happy to listen to him. Mike Tirico gave the convocation for Newhouse, and it was phenomenal. And I shook his hand after and have a great picture. I met Mike Tirico twice. The first time I met Mike Tirico, I was in a Newhouse bathroom clogging a bloody nose. And he said, he comes up to me and he's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And he goes, that's good. You look like you've, you've had uh, a lot of those before. And I'm like, what the heck's that supposed to mean, Mike? <laughs> Nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, second time was perfectly fine. It was at the Z89 banquet a couple years later, but that first one just cracks me up because it was just there like, you have what? it. Mike Tirico thinks Matt Pfeiffer does cocaine. There we go. <laughs> spends a lot of time at high altitude. <laughs> also, a uh, shout out to a fellow Syracuse grad in uh, Scott Hansen, who celebrated five years of uh, NFL Red Zone. All right. Hey. Seven hours of commercial stuff. free football. Let's go to the quad box. Quad box. <laughs> He's very good at his job. He makes Sunday very enjoyable. He said that he had only peed once during all those years. He said he took one bathroom break. Isn't that incredible? That yeah, is... that, that, that's not healthy. I don't think so. We've got completely off the rails here, guys. We we have. Well, we, we do want to move to a new segment that we're going to do here. But real quick, just positive things we want to say. Josh Black and Aaron Surveys are coming back for their sixth year of eligibility at uh, with the football team. Uh, and Tommy DeVito has announced he's returning as well. Uh, we'll get more into all that and what that means next week. But now it is time to be shell-shocked. Your brain has shell on it. The shell knows all. I'm shocked. Shocked. All right. So I just want to take a minute to talk about how we all owe a thank you to the Blue Blood programs that run college basketball. Duke, Kentucky. We wouldn't know what to do without them because... I'm sure this has nothing to do with it. Duke lost to Illinois. I think they were the underdogs in the game too, but they lost. So clearly, you know, Duke's not as good as we were thinking they might be this year. All of a sudden, Coach K believes that, oh man, I don't think we should play this year. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel right. I don't think we should do it. This is the same uh, Coach K who, you know, a matter of days ago was saying, 
how we need to get the season in. We got to play the tournament this year with a full field, full field. We're going to play a full tournament. But now, oh, no, Duke's not that good. I guess the season's not worth playing. Well, that's okay. Let's let's ask John Calipari what he thinks. You know, he's got, a, you know, Kentucky, they're a blue blood. They're one of the big programs. They're good. So they must want to play. What's what? They're they're bad this year? Oh, well, I'm sure, you know, Calipari still wants to get the season in, right? Oh, what? No? No. Oh, John Calipari thinks that all of a sudden, oh, the season, you know, it's not safe. I don't think we should be playing. So thanks to Coach K and John Calipari for deciding when college basketball is worth playing and when it is not turns out when duke and kentucky aren't good it's not worth playing at all so little syracuse here who you know only missed a little bit of time from covid maybe we should just stop trying because if duke's not good and kentucky's not good what's the point well we will get a chance to play duke later this year and uh yeah fun fact on tuesday was the first time since december 3rd 1988 that jim Beheim. Roy Williams and Mike Shashevsky all lost on the same day. So really? uh, that's only the second time that's ever happened. So yeah, there's, there's your fun fact. And uh, so now you've been shell shocked. So, Hey, thanks for listening to us this week. Enjoy uh, Syracuse basketball this weekend at Boston college. If you have, the 1990 NCAA lacrosse trophy. Let us know that season is getting closer and we just want to know uh, that the lacrosse trophy from 1990 is safe before hopefully the program goes and wins another one uh, this upcoming year. Please follow us on Twitter at three IL pod, like us on Facebook and uh, you know, give us those stars on all, wherever you listen to us on all of your favorite streaming providers. For Kevin O'Keefe, Colin Lerner, Joe Shell, Brett Fortnum, I'm Matt Pfeiffer. We will see you next week. We hope. We hope.